Should I turn on my microphone? I think I will. Good morning, everyone. My name's Nicole Eunice. I'm part of the team here at Ward. I get to come and be with you guys every couple of months from Richmond, Virginia. And what would be more important for you to know this morning is that I'm also a wife um, of 25 years and a mom of three children between the ages of 15 and 20. So yes, I was crying in the front row while the high schoolers let us in worship. And honestly, like, how can you not be encouraged by seeing the next generation like lift, lift their voices in praise of our God? Um, I think that as we get older, it's easy to uh, become jaded and cynical and for the problems of the world and the problems in our lives to become such a burden that we can forget to lift our eyes and to see that God is writing this incredible story that we get to see in the book of Acts, that we get to continue in our own lives and that we get to be encouraged by something that is so much bigger than the problems that we face, amen? And that's what we do together in church is we remember. We just, we, we come together to remember the simple truth of who God is and what he's called us to. And that's what we're gonna do this morning. But before we get into the passage, I just wanted to share a story with you guys. I was working with a team, a staff team, um, and they were on a trip to New Orleans and I was with them. This was just a few weeks ago. And part of what this team likes to do is really understand a culture. Wherever they go to visit, they kind of spend time in the culture to learn about culture and to be engaged in our world. And so part of that was this tour of the city. And the tour of the city ended in this really famous cemetery. And so we're on this tour bus and we're going through this cemetery. And the cemeteries in New Orleans are a little different perhaps than the cemeteries here in Detroit because New Orleans is built basically on a swamp. All of the graves are above ground. Everything is like a, like a tomb, like, a, like an up above ground thing. It's a little bit off-putting the first time you see it, but you sort of get engaged with like this whole life and world of tombs with families in them and like they just go back so far. And we come around a corner and our tour guide tells us that we are now on Millionaire's Row. I kid you not, guys, there were tombs there that were nicer than our houses. They were these massive, beautiful, designed, intricate, like little houses, <laughs> little houses for dead people. And it was very bizarre. And we come around and then we see the house that is greater than any other house. And it looks like a mini cathedral with a big cross at the top, tall, probably 30 feet high, just one tomb there. And the tour guide says, you know, there's a funny story about this tomb. This man was very wealthy who built this, you know, sort of to, as a place of rest for his family. And when he died, not only did his wife show up to hear the will, but also his three mistresses. And the wife decided that she actually did not want her husband who built that tomb to be buried there. So she actually buried him in a simple pine box way out in the country, decided to take her revenge to his death. She is the only person buried in this mansion of a tomb. She decided, I don't know what happens after death, but I'm telling you what, I am compelled by this place of rest. I don't want to be near this man. And I just was so <laughs> struck by this story. I've been thinking about it all week. And I'm like, it's amazing how compelled we are as people. Just, just compelled from life to death and beyond death. And if, if what's true about the Christian faith, about the bitterness of unforgiveness is true, this woman wouldn't even let death separate her from her revenge. 
she led a compelling life straight into her death. We're all compelled by something. And so I ask you this morning, as we go into this passage, I think the question in front of all of us is what makes a well-lived life? What makes a well-lived life that compels us to and beyond death? You see, sometimes those who are living are actually walking in death. And sometimes even the dead continue to bring life to the world because maybe life isn't quite as binary as the way that we've experienced it. This is what was happening in the early church. The concept of life and death was being redefined by Jesus Christ himself. And we're seeing that happen in this meta story in Acts, the story exploding across this book where life is being breathed everywhere that Jesus's people go. Life is being breathed out into the people around because Jesus gives us a new definition of life. Look at how Paul describes this in 2 Timothy 1. He's talking to new believers and he's saying, hey, you've been saved, you've been called to live a holy and purposeful life. And the reason that you've been called to it is because of this passage, because it's now been revealed through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay, the first thing that we need to see here is that this is now, this is our new now. This has been revealed in the present. This isn't a future promise. This is a current promise that actually when you come into Christ, you experience a new definition of life and death. It doesn't say that Jesus Christ is gonna destroy death later. It says he has already destroyed death and that you're being brought into light and immortality through the gospel. Now, why does this matter? This feels very, very abstract to our current day, to the life that we live. But I think the reason that this matters is that we need to remember, you aren't born like this. You aren't born with this knowledge. You, you're, you're born into it. That when we come into Christ, we leave the world as it is and we're, we're being brought into this new thing. We're being brought into the kingdom of God where we experience life differently. It's not something that you just get. It's, it, it actually comes with saying yes to Jesus. The light of the gospel is what reveals to us what life really looks like. And I wanna see if we can play that out in this passage because I always feel like when these big things are said, it's like, well, what is this, how does this matter? How does this matter to my Tuesday and my Wednesday? And I actually think it matters quite deeply to your Tuesday and your Wednesday, that you understand that when you are in Christ, you have a new definition of what it means to live a good life. That is the promise of the gospel. It has now been revealed that Jesus Christ has destroyed death. Real life, if you're a note taker, here's your first point. Real life is only known in light of the gospel. Real life, true life, good life, Abundant life is only known in the light of the gospel. It is not known in our circumstances. It is not known in our victories or our defeats. It is not known by trials and suffering. All of that stuff is part of the story. But real life, abundant life, happens in light of the gospel. 
In our passage this morning, we enter into a story already in motion. We've been looking at Acts this whole year, and this story is a story of this spreading of this message, this spreading of this person of Jesus that's happening all over the place. We're right in the middle of this meta theme where Christianity is going into civilization. It has ramifications for people and for circumstances and relationships, but we get this little slice of one day in the life of believers that we enter into in our passage this morning. We've got three main characters in our passage, right? We've got Ananias, who was paralyzed. We have Tabitha, who's a woman alive and then a woman dead. And we have Peter, who enters the story. And in the meta theme of scripture, this is a little bit of a hinge moment where Peter is beginning to realize that this message is not just for Jews, but it is also for Gentiles, for you and I. So it's an important part of the motion of the story on the meta theme of what's happening. But I want us to focus today on like the micro of what's happening, what's actually happening in these rooms and in these places as Peter enters in. And before we do that, I want to address, I talked to Scott about this just a moment again, Pastor Scott. I said, hey, have you talked about this yet? Because I'm, I'm pretty, pretty cynical, honestly, when it comes to a lot of things. And so I'll, I'll read scripture and I'll think, what's the obvious question here? And are we answering the obvious question? And to me, the obvious question in the book of Acts is why doesn't God do miracles the same way that he seemed to do them in the book of Acts? And why, why in this passage do we see like these extraordinary experiences of healing that we've, if you've been paying attention, we've been seeing all through the book of Acts. And I was praying about this and like, okay, wh- what about that? And, and I want to tell you, I don't actually know. I don't exactly really know why miracles seem the way that they do in Acts. And they seem the way that they do sometimes in the developing world. And they seem the way they do in certain circumstances, but not every circumstance. I don't really know the answer to that. But I think there are some things that we can know about this time. We know that these visible manifestations was the way that the the message of the gospel was exponentially spreading. We know, and we're gonna see it in just a moment, that the passage actually makes it very clear what the purpose of the miracle was. And the purpose of the miracle was not just the miracle itself, it was something else. And here's another thing that I actually think we need to know. We need to know that what's happening right now is so extraordinary, it's actually a miracle that you and I are sitting here. Like if you just step out of what you know about Christianity and you engage with the fact that this, this man, Jesus, this historical figure, lived in anonymity for 30 years. He had public ministry for three years. He was like arrested cruci- and crucified. And then eyewitnesses say they saw him alive, but like how do you really prove that? If you think about the fact that that's the story from more than 2,000 years ago and you and I are sitting here because of that story, That's the miracle. If you think about maybe in your own personal life, like why you're here today, why I'm here today. And I I think about the trajectory of life and the way that darkness pulls on us, the way that we're tempted to fear, to, to insecurity, to find our life in ourselves, and yet here we are sitting here. And when I think about these students leading us in worship in the world that we all are scared of, it's a dark time, yeah? That's a miracle. 
And actually what was happening now, like the people who were watching what was happening also noticed this same thing. I want to take us back to Acts chapter 5. Earlier in the story, as these miracles are starting to happen, people are getting up in arms and they don't know what to do about it. And the religious leaders meet to talk about it. And one of those religious leaders said, hey, let's take note of something. And I'm just going to read this to you. Consider carefully what you think of these men, he said. Some time ago, Theotis appeared. He claimed to be somebody. 400 men came to him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, there was Judas the Galilean. He appeared in the days of the census. He led people to revolt. He was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So this is what he says about Jesus. This is back before this passage. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Even in the very first chapter of this long story of Christianity that we're in, wise people said, if God's in it, it won't be stopped. And that's why I actually believe in miracles. The miracle of salvation, the miracle of the church, the miracle of the next generation, those are miracles too. And yes, does God heal exactly the same here and and in our lives? I don't know. I know we're called to pray for it. I know I've seen it. I've seen healing, but I don't always see it. Maybe actually understanding that Jesus gives us a new definition for life and death in the first place is where we actually start. Because when we understand life and death in Christ, it changes everything about the way we engage with the world today, the way we engage life and death, and the way we engage our own struggles. So Ananias is this guy, right? And it says that he'd been paralyzed and he'd been bedridden for eight years. So we know he wasn't paralyzed for his whole life. This was a guy who had a life at some point outside of this suffering that he's been in for eight years. Commentators ask the question, why do we need to know his name? Maybe he was well known. And we know that Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he says at the beginning of Luke that he, he set out to write an orderly account. And this is actually a place that we see proof of that orderly account where it's like, hey, if you want to know somebody who's experienced the power of Jesus, this is his name. This is where he lives. You can go ask him. (laughs) That's a little bit of what's going on here. And as he comes to him, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. In other translations, it says, get up and make your bed. And I want you to know, my 18-year-old has been making her bed. And it truly is a miracle of of great renown. I I don't know how it happened, but it happened this year, you guys. Miracles really do happen. So Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And he got up. Maybe he was well-known. Maybe this was an easy way to verify the story. But here's what we do know about the miracle. Verse 35. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Don't miss the real miracle that's happening through this healing. The real miracle that happened was that because of his life, other people had life. You see, if you have life, you give life. It's just a part of who you are. If you have life, you give life. If you have life, you give life. 
And as he experienced this healing, the miracle was not only that he was not paralyzed anymore, the real miracle was that people who saw it turned to the Lord. We know that God gets his glory. He sometimes gets his glory through our suffering unto death. He sometimes gets his glory through our suffering unto healing, but he will get glory. And he gets glory here because people who saw what happened turned to the Lord. In the moment that Ananias was in motion, his affliction became his testimony. Everything that happened in these eight years made sense in light of his healing at just the right moment. Believer, do you feel paralyzed? Do you feel stuck? Do you know that there's a day coming where that will all change? but how you live in the waiting matters. Some of us are stuck and we cannot get out of it. And God is calling us to patience. God is calling us to receive from others. A friend of mine, a dear friend, just went through a harrowing experience with their second child who has been on the verge of death over and over again, who, praise be to God, is actually growing and healing now. But I looked back at my friend Stacy's posts on her caring bridge. And over and over again, her comment was, receiving from you all is so humbling. Many of us are very good at giving and serving, but when you're in a place where you feel paralyzed or stuck, my question is, how are you at receiving? God can humble us to receive encouragement from others in times and places where we may feel stuck, but your day is coming where you will get up you will get up again. It may be on this side of heaven, it may be on the other side of heaven, but God is calling us to get up. Peter brings life into these situations. He brings forth more life because if you have life, you give life. Our next character in our passage is Tabitha. She was known for doing good. She was known for helping the poor, and she gets sick and died. Her, I love the details in Scripture. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. If you want to know what that means, it means she was really dead, like she'd been dead for a while. It wasn't like, are you still there? Are you in a coma? She's dead. She's dead. She's placed in an upstairs room. That's where people were mourn. And when they heard that Peter was close by, they sent two men, urged him to please come. And he comes, and he arrives, and he meets these widows standing around him, crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, also known as Tabitha, had made while she was still with them. You know, the more we love someone, the more we grieve when we lose them. A friend of mine named Gabe, he talks about grief and says, you know, the thing about grief and loss is that it's not just the loss of a person that we love, it's the loss of what that person brings out in us. And this is why I, I so deeply believe in eternity, because we all carry in us parts of other people who make us something more, something different, something greater, something better. When people bring life to us, we receive that, which is why grief is so, so sad and painful, because it's not just that person. It's what that person brought out in us. And we see this emotional moment where these widows who've been cared for and loved by Tabitha, who lives this quiet and faithful life where she's serving and giving and she's in community with these people. And Peter is moved by it, so he does what he's seen Jesus do. 
And I think about what kind of faith it took for Peter to do this. Now, he's had some really good reps up till now in the book of Acts. Like, things are happening. But still, this is, this is a dead person. But he does what he's seen Jesus do. And he has everyone leave, and he gets down on his knees, and he prays. And he says, get up. And she opens her eyes, and he takes her by the hand and helps her to her feet. And he calls these believers back to her and presents her to them alive. And in verse 42, this is the real miracle. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. You see, what's happening here as life is being spread is that others are coming into life. The kind of life that Jesus calls us to live, to be compelled by a well-lived life in the gospel of Jesus is to always be bringing life everywhere you go. You just, you just breathe life into people everywhere you go. And these miracles, yes, were amazing, but the point of them was not just the healing, it was what happened to the people around. What happened when people saw it is that they turned to the Lord because that's actually the point of what we're doing here. We're called to this life where we breathe and give life to others. The result of the miracle is the point. It's the point of the story. If you have life, you give life. There's three compelling stories within this text. And I want to invite you this morning to find yourself today in one of these characters. Just put on your imagination for a moment and find yourself in one of these characters. Are you feeling paralyzed? Are you feeling limited? I want to remind you this morning that there are no disqualifiers for living a life that reflects Christ. When baby Molly was holding on to life, truly on an artificial heart, being manually bagged with a, with a lung thing, like just literally this fragile little person, Stacy and I reflected for a moment in prayer that Molly's fragile life had increased so many people's faith and she didn't know anything about what she was doing. She's bringing glory to God because of the faith that was being poured out by churches and community members and life, poured out in prayer. Regardless of the outcome of Molly's life, she had already lived a well-lived life in, in, in day three. God can use our affliction and our suffering and even when we feel limited, God can still use that. When I was in college, I, I was, had to volunteer for a class I was in. It was a developmental psychology class. Our, our choice was to spend time with little people or old, old people. And I had already spent a lot of time with little people in my life, so I was like, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with the uh, retirement home. And we uh, would go and visit a woman named Margaret. Margaret was blind, and then she had become deaf later in life, so she could still speak. But she had a little braille system that we used to communicate and a little way to know when we were at her door. And she would come to the door and she would hobble, really, truly, very, very afflicted, come to the door, hobble the door, and she would feel my face. And she would feel my face and she'd say, Nicole, is that you? That was 30 years ago. And I get to carry a little piece of Margaret in my heart and in my life, who's gone to be with the Lord, who loved Jesus. And we spent like 20 minutes together once a week for like a semester. Do not let what feels limiting to you keep you from breathing life 
because you never know what you're doing for someone else. You never know what your smile, what your encouragement, what your heart, what your presence, even if you're afflicted, even if you're in a hospital bed, you never know what that might be doing for someone else. Are you feeling limited believer? I want you to remember this from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No matter what that body feels like today, you are still living for Christ as long as you have breath in your lungs. Second character we see is Tabitha. She lived a quiet and compelling life. She put her faith into action. She used the energy given to her to compel her forward in word and deed. You guys saw a video about volunteering at Ward. This isn't about volunteering just to keep the lights on. It's about understanding and knowing that when we live life in community, serving on mission together, good life happens. And we get to see this little picture of that in Tabitha's life. Like, I don't think that she set out to be the woman who was raised from the dead. She just set out to be a woman who used the gifts that she was given for the good of others. And community was formed and relationship was formed as she served. All of my greatest ministry experiences have come from being a volunteer. Just being a person who shows up for stuff. You're feeling purposeless. You're feeling like life isn't, you don't see God work. You gotta be where God is if you wanna see God work. And he makes us really clear where he is. He's with the afflicted, he's with the sick, he's with the poor, he's with the lonely. You show up at places where God already is, you will see God work. You wanna increase your faith? Show up. You don't have to look for the perfect thing, just look for a thing. And it's incredible what happens as we begin to align our lives around something that's more compelling than just living for ourselves. Tabitha lived life on a mission in her faith, and even after her death, she was still impacting people with her life. The third person we see in the story is Peter. And I think a lot of times we're nervous about like, you know, sort of like uh, getting around the idea of like, I'm like Peter, you know, like the, I'm like an apostle. But I wanna invite you to remember, he's just a disciple, he's a human being, and if, if anyone's human, it's Peter. If you know the story of Peter, we know that he failed miserably and mightily. He was all talk, all the time, so we can, we can relate. And yet here he is, he's experiencing power and, and boldness and, and healing and presence, and I think, you know, Peter still had to show up and do the thing, he was still changing too. We know that in this story, Peter was actually having a hard time seeing the doors of the gospel thrown wide open beyond the Jewish people. He was wrestling with the line of grace and truth. He was wrestling with the line of how much of the law translates here and how much is love. All the things that we wrestle with as believers as we enter into the culture. But he was also in the process of becoming and he was compelled by love. He was called to step out in faith, and so he put into practice the things he had seen of Jesus and the things that Jesus had said to him. Do you know that Jesus said to his disciples, which includes us, in John chapter 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. That's mind-blowing. 
Jesus himself said, if you are with me, if you're abiding in me, you are gonna see things, you are gonna experience things, you are gonna be encouraged by things. If you have life, you give life. No matter the suffering, paralyzed, dead, alive, faithful, the point is always Christ. The point of these stories is more people coming to life. The point of our story is more people coming to life, no matter what. That's the real miracle, that we would be invited to that kind of life. So what makes a well-lived life? What compels you? I wanna invite you to take an honest assessment of what actually compels you in life. Second Corinthians 5 calls us, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's what it means to be compelled by Jesus. It's compelled to a different life where we no longer live for ourselves, but that we get to breathe life and give life everywhere we go. You may wonder, well, who who am I going to? What do I actually do? When do I do it? And I wanna close with a story that I think describes perfectly how God invites us to do so. So Dave and I are married 25 years. We had a bucket list trip that we were so excited about. We got to go to Patagonia, to Southern Chile, to hike in Patagonia. If you've ever been to Southern Chile or Patagonia, it is truly one of the most wild places on the earth. So majestic, so, so fierce in just the topography, the way it looks. And the other thing that's really fierce about Patagonia is the wind. The wind is out of control, it's insane. We were on uh, sort of hour nine of a hike. We're trying to get back to where we were going and the wind picked up. I mean, I'm talking about sustained 40 mile an hour winds with these incredible gusts. And our guide noticed that we seemed a little insecure as we're trying to get across some, some rocks and some boulders to get out of this wind. And she looks at us and she says, here's the thing about wind. If you listen, you can hear it coming. And when it comes, you lean into it. And if you can't lean into it, you kneel. And I think the Holy Spirit is just like that. The Holy Spirit says, listen for it. Put yourselves in places where your faith is encouraged. Do the work of staying encouraged in the faith. When the Spirit speaks, about a person that he's calling you to or a specific action or a way you might give or words you might share, lean into it. Lean into it, follow it. And if it feels too hard, kneel down. Kneel and ask God to give you the strength to bring life everywhere you go this week. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, giver of life, giver of of well-lived life, giver of good and abundant life. Would you encourage our hearts this morning that wherever we find ourselves in this story, we know more than anything else that your love compels us, that it is a miracle that we sit here and that you've given us this good life to go live, to breathe life and give life everywhere we go this week. Father, any parts of us that are compelled by fear or insecurity or worry or anger, we confess those to you. 
we claim right now we do not want to live for ourselves, but we want to live for you. We want to live for your love and your glory everywhere you send us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.